Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I had mentioned earlier, that uh, when we read the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, what we find in there is the types, the shadows, the symbols, the ceremonies, the sacrifices were all those things that foreshadowed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we often don't think about those particular things, the lamb that God would provide. And we're looking at the scenario between Abraham and Isaac. And this has reference to the coming one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Abraham had said, and Jesus was speaking uh, regards to Abraham in John 8, 58. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Did Abraham see When did Abraham see it? Clearly the reference to there is to the substitutionary atonement. That God would provide a lamb for the sacrifice. So all of scripture then, as Jesus says in Matthew or in Luke 24, point to him. He said to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they that speak of me. And if you believed Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. Uh, Listen to this in John chapter 1. And now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law, also the prophets, wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, writing about Christ. And Jesus said that if you believed Moses, what did Moses write? Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. He wrote about me. Think about Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was directed by the Spirit of the Lord to run up next to the chariot with the Ethiopian eunuch. And he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, the gospel of Isaiah in that particular chapter. And he asked him, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless somebody instructs me? So he invited him up into the chariot he got there, and he asked him the question, of whom does the prophet speak, of himself or some other man? And he begins at that point to proclaim Jesus to him. Clearly, it is the old covenant that foreshadows the coming one, that speaks of the coming one. It it predicts the coming one, and that's what they were waiting for. You should call his name Jesus, which means God with us, Emmanuel. He will save his people from their sins. When the Lord told Adam and Eve in the the garden there with regards to their sin, and that Eve, that this is what the promise is going to be, that the seed of the serpent would be crushed by the seed of the woman. And then she named her firstborn son Cain, meaning I have gotten a man from the Lord. She didn't recognize that it was something that was going to come a thousand, two thousand years in the future. But the fact is that she believed the promise. She believed that God had promised to have a redeemer that would come to redeem his people. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Is what we find with John the baptizer when he sees Jesus. They point to him as the Lamb of God. The Lamb that God gives to take away the sin of the world. Now, he does so providentially through these difficulties, through these events of trial and difficulty. God is weaving all of these things together for his glory and for the salvation of his people. Now, I cringe when I hear preachers say, well, if I were God, or I wouldn't have done it that way, 
I mean, you want to smack somebody like that right in the face, don't you? Well, maybe it's just me. I do. If I were God, banish the thought. And then questioning the wisdom of God. If I were God, I wouldn't do it. Well, that just shows how ignorant that you are. To even think that you could be God. And then to say such things. God weaves things together in His providence in a perfect way. And He does so for His glory and for the good of His people. That secondary events are legitimate authentic events in the life of God's people. He uses these events. He tested Abraham. Does that grab your attention? God tested Abraham. And he told him to take his son, his only son, he had Ishmael at the time, but the son that he loved, take him to Mount Moriah. Now, historically, Mount Moriah is Golgotha. This is where Christ was crucified on this mountain. Take him there. Take him to the place that I will tell you. Not the place that you want to go. Not to the place that you think best. Go to the place that I tell you. And so Abraham, he arose early in the morning. And again, I think that we paint this plaster of Paris saint thinking that Abraham was so godly that he just got up early. He couldn't wait to get at the business of doing what the Lord called him to. Abraham probably had a restless night. Probably tossed and turned all night long of what the Lord was calling him to. He was trying to be rational in his mind. He was bordering on rationalism. This doesn't make sense to me. This is the promised one. This is what the Lord has said. It's through this seed, through Isaac, your seed shall come. And now I'm supposed to sacrifice him? That doesn't make sense at all. And this is Abraham wrestling with the will of God. Now, don't paint it, beloved, that it's just Abraham raising, you know, he rose up and he jumped out of bed and he couldn't wait to get dressed and get on the business of sacrificing his son. He loved Isaac. So this tormented him that he didn't understand what it was that God was calling him to. You've, you've been there? You've gone through difficulties in your life? Struggles in your life? I mean, I think about Pastor Lee Johnson, Pastor Mike Lasley. Both of them in their 40s. And neither one of them, at this point at least, able to continue the gospel ministry. And what is the propensity that we have to begin to wonder and to question? Why not an older man? Why not me? Why not some of the guys that are in their 70s, that are nearing retirement? Why this younger man in the ministry? Now, we've all had questions like that. And what do you do? You simply go back to the teaching of God's word and you realize, hey, God, He is sovereign. He is in control. God is God. It is not for me to question the wisdom of the Almighty. It is for me to obey and to shut my mouth. And I have to shut my mouth. And you do as well. Because you all know we talk way too much. And most of the problems that we have is that we are letting our heart speak rather than speaking God's word to the heart. 
Speaking the word to the heart is in intent saying, shut up, heart. This is what God has said. That settles it forever. And yet we still question. We still wonder. We still question the ways of God. You've been there, and I've been there too. And if you're denying it right now, well, let's talk about the ninth commandment. But you're just simply lying. Because we struggle, beloved. This life as a Christian is hard. It's work. It's a soldier. It's a farmer. It's an athlete. It's running the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. It is denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following after Christ. It is doing those things that please the Father and not the flesh. And that's the struggle for all of us. Sin still resides within us. Rebellion is still there. We want to please ourselves. We want to please the Lord. But we want to please ourselves. And you know, at every point, we're demonstrating what we want more at that particular point. You're here this morning. You have a desire to please the Lord. Obviously, your desire to please the Lord in worship is more than you doing something else. Being at the mall, being at a family gathering, watching TV, going to the ball game, whatever it may be, your desire, at least at this point, is more desire to please the Lord than to please your flesh. But we all have that within us. And I, I just get tired of the phoniness. You don't find that in the life of the saints. There's struggle. There's difficulty. There's questions. There's doubts. There's agonizing. There's grieving. There's crying out to the Lord. How long, O oh Lord, how long? So Abraham rose up. He took his son. It took three days. Notice on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Verse 4. Verse 5, he says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. Uh, the lad and I will go yonder. All right? it's, it, it's a young man. We have an idea that Isaac, uh, Isaac is probably four or five years old. The text doesn't support that. Number one, he's old enough to know where is the wood? Where is the lamb? Where, what's going on here with the offering? He is old enough to have the wood put upon him to carry it up the mountain. Isaac was probably along the lines of maybe, when you look chrono uh, with the chronology there, chronologically the, the age of when Sarah died, when Isaac was born, how old Abraham was at the time, he, it puts Isaac you know, roughly between probably 20 and 30 years old. Now, this makes more sense in keeping with a type, a picture of Christ. You see, it wouldn't have been a struggle, would it, for Abraham to take his young little son, if he was four or five years old, snatch him up, put him on the altar, tie him down for the sacrifice. It's a little bit different when he's a young strapper now. He's got to willingly go. He's got to willingly go because the old man doesn't have the strength to be able to put me on an altar if I don't want to be there. 
So that says something about the heart of Isaac as well. My meat, Jesus said, and my drink is to do the will of the Father who sent me. To drink the dregs to the bitter end. Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I come from that purpose. My meat and my drink is to do your will. It's my life is to do your will. I came to do the will of the Father. He told his disciples, how will such and such be fulfilled if I do this? I must do what is prophesied of me. You find that type here even in the life of Isaac. So he says they're going to go and they're going to go up to the mountain. They're going to worship. They'll come back. Abraham has something of faith and trust in the Lord. We're, we are going to come back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, verse 6, laid it on Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand. But Isaac spoke to Abraham. Notice, my father. There's an inquiry. We're going. I mean, think about again. Isaac is old enough to understand the sacrificial system. He understands that we sacrifice a ram or a goat or a lamb. He gets it. It's not this little toddler running around that Abraham throws on his back. He says, Here am I, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a legitimate question. He said, We are going up to offer. You have nothing with which to offer. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two of them went together. Now just think about that for a moment. God is the one who provides the lamb for the sacrifice. And he has done that. And Isaac is a type of this sacrifice. Isaac is the one who goes willingly. Isaac is going as a desire to please his father. He goes in submission to his father. He goes carrying the wood. Christ carried the crossbeam. He goes for this purpose to honor his father, to do the will of his father, to listen in obedience to the word of his father. It's a type of Christ that you have here in Isaac. God will provide. Names are important. Jehovah Jireh, that's what it means. God our provider. Jehovah Rapha, God our healer. There's a number of them in the Hebrew language that speaks about the character of God in different ways. God our provider, God our banner and our shield. Uh, God is the one who is our strength. It, it goes on and, and this is, encapsulates the person of God. And this one is Jehovah Jireh. God our provider. God will provide. He will provide. Notice the faith of Abraham. He will provide. God will provide for himself. A lamb for the offering. But this is a, truly an act of faith and trust in the Lord when you can't see around the corner. To speak to you this morning? Abraham is the father of the faithful. He demonstrates a walk of faith, a walk of trust, a walk of confidence. Even offering the best. The best that he has to give to the Lord. He gives. He gives of his son. The son who was given to him. This is the one whom he loves. And he trusts the Lord. 
He had already said, we're going to go up to the mountain to worship and then we are going to come back. What confidence. This speaks about Abraham knowing his God. Not comprehensively, but knowing God in such a fashion, in such a way, in such a manner that he knew that God was a righteous God, a holy God. And he would never command Abraham to do anything that was unholy, unrighteous, or ungodly. So the two of them went on together. Verse 9, they came to the place which God had told him. Which God had told him. You know, our, our propensity, beloved, is to go where we want. Where should you worship? The place where God places his name. That isn't at every place that calls themselves the church. It is where his word is proclaimed. There his spirit dwells. There you have the people of God, the church of the living God. Not any old place, but the place that walks in obedience and submission to Christ the King. Christ is Lord. You have those that want to do what they want to do. It doesn't matter what the Word of God speaks. This is comfortable for us. This is pleasing to us. This wins more people. We'll gather more in doing this. Did you ever notice in the ministry of Jesus, it wasn't about gathering more and more? He often spoke things to drive people away. It's amazing. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. John 6, and many turned and walked with him no more, saying, this is a hard saying, who can understand that? Jesus knew that many followed him just for the food to fill their bellies. Yeah, I mean, he could take a few fish and loaves, man. We could have a, a meal. We just follow him around. Won't have to work anymore. Order in. Jesus can just bring the food in. And there were many that followed him for those reasons. And then you find Jesus saying those particular things. And they walked away from him. We are to worship where God's name is. And where his name is, you will find in the submission of his people to the word of God. Not to do their own will, but to do the will of him that created us. Desiring to worship him, to honor him, to serve him in the acceptable way. Leaning not on our own understanding, but considering him. So that he might then direct our paths. This is what you find in Abraham's life. Is that, is that in your life, beloved? Is that in my life? Is that what we're striving for? It's not a perfection. But it is a direction. It's a distinct direction. And I might be going north and I might only be going 35 or 40 miles an hour. But I'm not going south. And there might be those passing me, and there might be those at a rapid pace, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour going north, and they might be going faster than me, but they're not more justified than I am, that I am in Jesus Christ, and I might be going slow, and I might break down, and I might have the clunker. But I'm in Christ, and that's the direction that I'm going in. It's not about who gets there first, who gets there the fastest. It's a long, steady walk in the same direction, isn't it? 
I'm not going south. I'm not going the way of the world. And do I struggle? Yeah, you struggle with breakdowns, don't you? You struggle with flat tires. You struggle when you're out of gas. How can it be out of gas? Well, because my gauge doesn't work. Why my gauge doesn't work? And you're frustrated about the car that you drive. And you start looking over on the southbound lane. Wow, I got some nice rides on that side. Why can't I be there just for a little bit? And you can't cross that chasm. You're on the narrow road that leads to life. You're not on the broad road that leads to destruction. It's emulated, isn't it, by our obedience? Beloved, sometimes God calls us to do hard things. Not easy. And how we respond to those things is an indicator. Because it's the Holy Spirit who is the one who gives us the strength. Naturally, in our own person, we wouldn't have the ability to do it. It's the Lord that strengthens us. It's the Lord who strengthens Abraham. When you can't see around the corner. But you know it's the right thing to do. Abraham stretched out. He, uh, verse 9. He came to the place in which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. Placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Now again, think about this. As a younger man. Abraham is an older man. He had no ability to strap him up and put him on that altar if he didn't want to. Speaks about the heart of Isaac of going willingly, which foreshadows the Christ. Abraham stretched out his hand. Look at the faith here. Even to this point, then it's almost unconscionable, isn't it? He's going to slay his son, but God told me to do it. He took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord cried out. Now this is what's traditionally been called the pre-incarnate existence of Christ. Pre-incarnate Christ. The angel of the Lord, which just simply means the messenger of the Lord. Christ is the messenger of the covenant. So he speaks to him out of heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, "Ah, here I am. He said to him, do not lay your hand on the lad, nor do anything to him. For now that I know that you fear God. Now, don't, beloved, get in your mind that God did not know that Abraham feared him. This is what we call a mode of accommodation. This is the way that God speaks to us for our understanding. Known to God from eternity are all of his works. He knew that Abraham feared the Lord. He knew what Abraham would do. God predestines all things, but such a way that we are not stocks and blocks. Do I understand that? No, I do not. But that is what the scriptures speak. We must believe what the word of God says without falling into rationalism or humanism. That our mind are the measure, the standard of all things. No, God's word speaks it. I have not the capacity to understand the sovereign hand of God and the choices that I make that are predestined by the sovereign God. I don't understand that. But the scripture teaches both. Faith submits. There are so many things that I don't understand anyway. It's not a challenge for me. I don't lay down at night wondering and pondering, staring at the ceiling, and I can't sleep because of this. I don't have that problem. I I don't understand a lot of natural things. Why why are there over 300 species of hummingbirds? For the glory of God. But I don't understand that. 
Whether different shapes, sizes, colors, God has made them and He's made them for His glory. That we would see them and say, what a wondrous God. And not be stupid like me and say, why did He make all those like that? For His glory. That we would look at those things and say, what an awesome God. And that they all wouldn't have competition eating up the same flower. Does that make sense? Different sized beaks, you can't get into all the flowers to get the nectar. So God creates a variety of flowers for a variety of hummingbirds for His glory that we would look and say, what an awesome God that we serve. God knows all things. God is omniscient. He knows all that there is to know. His knowing makes it so. So he says, verse 12, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. And I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And here is what Abraham saw in John chapter 8. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And there it was. Behind him was a ram caught in the thicket. Notice something, beloved. It wasn't there prior This is almost like the great fish that the Lord prepared to swallow up Jonah. Or the star in the east that took the wise men right over where the Christ was to be born. Abraham looks behind him and there it is. You know, when a ram is caught in a thicket, it's struggling, it's wailing around trying to escape the thicket. The horns are scratching. You can hear what's going on. Abraham doesn't see it. He doesn't hear it. It's not there. The Lord provides this substitution for him. And so he finds this ram caught in the thickets by its horns. It's not running away. It's provided so Abraham can grab this ram. You ever try to grab a ram? It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus rode on a colt into Jerusalem on the day of triumph. And he rode on a colt which he said had never been ridden on before. You ever been on a horse that never been ridden? And yet, the king of all creation is able to ride on a foal of a donkey that's never been ridden and not be bucked off. With God, all things are possible. This time next year, Sarah, when I return you are going to be pregnant. Can you see her? (laughs) Unreal. Are you kidding me? I'm 90 years old. How's that going to happen? Why did Sarah laugh? Oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, you did laugh. She's caught and she lies. Oh, you did laugh. And here's the question that the Lord asked Sarah. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Of all of my good pleasure, what is it, O wise one, that I cannot do? God causes a ram to be caught in the thickets. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering. Probably he went and as they had done in that day was to slit the throat, grab the ram, slit it up and put it to death right then. Put it on the altar. He put it on the altar as a burnt offering instead of the son. 
Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad, Jesus said in John 8. What is that? That Abraham's son Isaac was taken off of the altar and a substitution was taken and he saw the day of Christ, the substitutionary atonement, the one that would provide the salvation for all that were given to him before the foundation of the world. He would be their lamb of sacrifice. He would give his life that we might have life that we might be granted life, that we might have life everlasting, that we might have righteousness, that we might have full and final forgiveness in Him. Christ, our substitute. He comes to do what we could never do. He came to take upon Himself our wrath, our punishment, what was due to us. He bore it all because He came to do the Father's will. And it was the Father's will out of love to send the Son of God to be the atoning sacrifice for His people that we might sing praises to God, that we might receive the benediction, that the light of God's countenance might shine upon us because darkness was upon Christ. This is why He came, beloved. Christ came. He came willingly. He came with the desire to submit to the Heavenly Father. He came to redeem His seed, which was a number that no man could count, even as we saw in our reading, as the sand by the seashore and as the stars in the heaven. He took upon the sins of all of His people. He took them all upon Him. And so there He was, made sin for us on the cross. He came to do what we could never do. So Abraham then called the name of the place the Lord will provide. Do you think Isaac ever forgot that? Do you think Abraham ever forgot what the Lord had done? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Beloved, the Lord will always provide for his people. Always. Our problem is that we get wants and needs mixed up. The things that we have need of, God provides all that we have need. But we want certain things and we slide them over into the need category. And then we become disappointed and angry with God because I don't have what I want, we say. But you don't need that. You parents tell that to your children. You don't need that. But I want those shoes. You don't need those. You got shoes. Yeah, but I want those shoes. You don't need them. You got shoes. The satisfaction to be content with what the Lord provides. God will always provide for our needs. Paul said we have food, we have clothing. What else do we need? I will rejoice in these things that God provides in this way. The Lord will provide. You realize that every single moment of every single day the Lord is providing for you? The Lord has given you air to breathe. He's given you the enjoyment, being in fellowship and worship this morning. He's given you the blessing of being able to hear His Word. He's given you the blessing of being part of a congregation, a people of God redeemed for His purpose. He lets you see all of the blessings and the wonders that are in this world. You're able to observe with your eyes the wonders and the beauties of God's creation. To hear the wonders and the glories of God's world. You don't have to have that. That's not a necessity. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. He provides all of these things for us. God will always provide. The ultimate is our salvation. 
We come to this world as God-haters, rebels. We come not wanting to do the Father's will. We come not wanting our thoughts to contain anything of God. And what does He do? He gives His Son. He gives His Son as a ransom so that His wrath would not come upon us, but upon His Son. The Lord will provide, as it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. In the mount of the Lord, again, historically, this is Calvary. This is where Christ died. God provided the Lamb for the sacrifice in His Son. What is Christmas all about? Nothing wrong with gift giving, but it's not about that, beloved. It's about the Son of God coming to do the will of the Father. That's what it's about. It's about God the Father in love sending God the Son who was the Son of God who in our place condemned He stood that we might become the righteous of God in Him who became a curse for us that we might become a blessing in the sight of God. That is what Christmas is all about. It's about the birth of Christ. It's the coming of Christ to redeem a multitude for the glory of God. God provides for us. What do you have need of? It's all provided in Christ. Who hears my prayers? Christ does. Who cleanses me? Christ does. Who is my righteousness? Christ is. Who's my good shepherd? Christ. Who feeds me? Jesus does. Who nourishes me? Who protects me? Who provides for me? Who loves me? Who cares for me? Who comforts me? Jesus. Because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is God our provider. Do you lose sight of that, beloved? It comes to all the festivities, the sounds, the sights, the smells, all the things. Do you lose sight of why we gather on the Lord's Day, of why we think about the coming of Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ? Do you lose sight of that? To get involved with all the family festivities, the football, all the other things, and you lose sight of the real meaning and the purpose? Because, look, it's easy to do. You walk into the house and you smell the food and all of a sudden this, this grabs a hold of you, doesn't it? It leads you right by the nose to the kitchen and you forget all about Nothing wrong with enjoying that. But do not let it eclipse Jehovah Jireh that God provided for you so that you would be able to use all the wondrous blessings in faith for the glory of God. What a wonder. We come to worship Him, to praise Him, Because the Lord has provided for us full forgiveness, full righteousness, full satisfaction, and glorification that is provided for in the future. Because this foreshadowed on this day that the Father sent His Son to take upon Himself manhood. So in one person, truly God, truly man, would die the death that we deserve to die so that our punishment, the satisfaction of God's justice would be made and that he, in fulfilling all the demands of the law, would give us his perfections. So me, me, the one who is wretched within, stands here holy in the sight of God, covered and clothed in the righteous robes of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why we gather, that's why we remember, that's why we reflect, because God is our provider. Amen. Shall we pray?